Uh, fuck Max, dude. You bite your tongue, Huckleberry. <laughs> Max, make our world go round. <laughs> fuck that. This show would not happen if it was not for America. I'm sure it would. You just have to use something else. Hit new Windows 10 shit. I am so... I can't hardly use it. See, I like it. I don't mind it. I can't hardly use it. Thank God all the computers at work are still on, like, seven. <laughs> you know. I remember back in the day, I bought a Dell computer. had fucking ME on it. I'm trying to even take, like, the first fucking operating system I had. Windows 95. Oh, see, my mind goes back before that, like, like I remember having, like, the computers, like, because my dad always worked, my stepfather always worked with computers, because he's always done, like, large, like, printing press and, like, repair, he does binary repair and all that, mm-hmm. so, and I, like, I didn't really understand the thing at the time, but he had something that was even, like, pre-DOS, but, like, when I started doing shit, it was DOS, like, yeah, that's all you fucking had. I had a Tandy Color Vision, that's what I learned to start coding on, it was a Tandy Color Vision fucking green screen bullshit <clears throat> and of course now like all my coding skills are completely extinct and debunk because they're so fucking primitive versus oh uh, that's the way i was now. when when i like got out of it a couple years like i just completely lost interest in computers yeah like i was just fucking burnt out when i come back and like everything was fucking changed i'm like yeah. fuck me yeah exactly yeah like I, I was all about doing like html and shit and even played a little bit with Flash, and now even Flash is so much for that two years I took teaching myself C++. Yeah, right. <laughs> so happy I have that useless fucking information stuck in my head. Do you have your order, like how you're gonna do these? Yeah, it's basically the same order that you had last night. Uh, where did you want me to throw? I wanted to do Dale's question before we get into how should the brands be represented. I think those two, the, those two kind of play together. Um, okay, where is... I got Dale's question. Here. Dale's question is just above... Above uh, jerseys. Jerseys. Yep, I got... I got... Whoa, what did I just do? I'm dragging shit. And, and then the other one should be uh, Colin. It's a th- it's like Collins, and it also has an Aaron tagged in there. Right. Uh, no, wait a minute. Hey, that's not it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That is it. It is it. Uh, like what? To, what to do with the different brands? How? Like what? What should they stand for? Aaron. It's Colin Waysong. I'm looking for Colin. That's what I'm. He's under. Uh, oh, Paul. it. It. It, uh, it it's, jumped. It's a three part question here, and yep. then he got. Yep. Yeah. It's Stronsky. Uh, did you not? Did you want to move that whole thing up in the show or? I just want those two to be next to each you other. You just want them all right. next to each other. Okay. Right. Gotcha. This is your United States of America.
What's up, peeps, freaks, and geeks? Welcome to Season 2, Episode 6.5 of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by TheGorillaPosition.com and presented by Hami Media. On this edition of the show, Rick and I are turning the control over to you, the listener. Dear God, help us, as we field your questions. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you that this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Shoot us an email at HittingTheMarks at gmail.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. I'm joined, as always, alongside my tag team partner, the gallows to my Anderson, Huckleberry number one, RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. Well, well I, got, I got a quick question here for you. We're, we're doing a, well, a mailbag episode? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to let people ask us questions. Ah, oh, shit. You know what? Uh, I, I actually am coming in completely unprepared here. Yeah, when I got your email on this, you know, I, I took you know, the, the Q&A. It's almost like like a double entendre sort of deal, you know, like TNA for total nonstop action. And I thought the Q&A was quieting the non-right assholes. I thought we were going to have a politically charged debate today. Well, it might be depending on, you know, exactly how you want to view things here. Because, I mean, oh, okay. you know, I, I, I am the right and you are the wrong. That's pretty much, you know, our dynamic and how this show works. Uh, okay. All right. I got, I got to change gears here, you know, because... No, you're in the same storm I am, man. We are sitting here, uh, I guess, in the next couple of days. You, you said, so I was talking to you earlier, you've got a couple more inches of snow on the ground there. It is coming down here like crazy. I just I just finished plowing through a bunch of snowflakes. I thought I was going to do the same on the show today, but you know, I, I, I will settle down uh, and I will re-gear so we can answer some of these uh, these great questions that we're going to get from from our, our awesome friends. Yeah, we got a lot of feedback from the thread in the Hameen Media discussion group. Uh, we're going to answer a lot of those questions as well as a couple from the mailbag. Uh, we got some good questions here, Rick. Uh, so what do you say? Let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, we're we're, we're going we're gonna to condense as much as we can because we just had too many damn questions that came in. So if you were one of these people, Gooch, I'm looking at you, that asked like six questions, we're probably going to answer one. Because, I mean... We're professionals here. Well, at least we try to be. So let's kick things off with our, uh, we've got a group of three questions here that all kind of loop into the same category, I think. Uh, Demetrios Zerdos. God, I'm, I'm really hoping I pronounce everybody's names right. Uh, so the white meat baby face wants to know, is he really the white meat baby face? Uh, he, he is now. He has been, that is his newly dubbed nickname, he is the, I guess he was trying to play, you know, the, the peacemaker, uh, be a star campaign of the Hameen media discussion group over on Facebook. Uh, and it kind of, it kind of blew up in his face a little bit. I don't think he was, I don't want to dive too much into it here. I, I just, I thought it was the whole conversation was a little bit overboard in the group, but he, he set out with great intent and it kind of backfired on him. And now he has been dubbed the, uh, the white meat baby face. <laughs> he's he's kind of the Marty Skrull of our Bullet Club. Uh, where do you see New Japan and ROH in the next two years? Do you think New Japan Pro Wrestling has enough steam to get over in America? Would ROH help them out by already having a presence here in the States? And then he asks if WWE is scared of them. Uh, well, no, that I don't believe whatsoever. Uh, the, the other part of the question I do find uh, very intriguing. Uh, our boy Aaron Strunsky wants to know, do you think New Japan in the USA will alter their product to try to reach a broader audience here? And then Seth Kennedy chimes in uh, asking about the all-in show. And do we f- 
few further, Jesus Christ, I can't even talk today. It's a good thing I have a radio show. Uh, do we further ROH business, New Japan business, or just let the being the elite guys go entirely into business for themselves? I think all three of these questions kind of corrugate together. Uh, my pitch has been really since we started this show and even a few months before that, ideally what I would like to see happen, I would like to see Sinclair Broadcasting sell Ring of Honor to New Japan Pro Wrestling and have New Japan use Ring of Honor as their American presence. I think that those two companies actually merging into one rather than cannibalizing themselves is is honestly the best course of action here. You know, not to not to stooge off too much of your business, and I, I'm going to let you kind of lead us through this question and answer here because you know, as I always say, you know, you you're on the pulse of you know these promotions, uh, these developments with the being the elite, all that's going on here that we're discussing. I don't want to stooge off too much of what you do, but when it comes to Ring of Honor for Sinclair, I mean, how do they really perceive them? Is it is it a, simply a write-off? I mean, why haven't they really invested more there behind that brand? Because it's such a, it's such a footnote. I, it, so it, it really is. In I the mean, grand scheme of things, it's just so far down the totem pole. Right. When, when, for those that don't know, I work for Sinclair Broadcasting. Um which is the same company that owns Ring of Honor, which is why I see Ring of Honor so much faster than a lot of you do. Um, Sinclair is kind of the umbrella corp. There's been a lot of talk about Sinclair merging with the Tribune Company, which owns WGN. And I mean, you're talking about billions and billions of dollars being thrown around here, as well as political platforms and trying to come up with an even more right-wing alternative to Fox News and furthering that agenda. That is really what Sinclair is far more concerned about as opposed to the wrestling business. Uh, Ring of Honor is really nothing more than a bargaining chip that Sinclair uses and something that they use to fill, in my TV station's case, about four hours worth of programming over the course of the weekend. At, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning. Oh, we, we got nothing else to put on here. Oh, let's throw on Ring of Honor. So when you really, you hear like from a lot of, you know, wrestling fans, you know, one of the gripes they have about Ring of Honor is, man, they need to up their production. They need to get the better production value, by, you know, so and so forth. You know, in reality, though, for Sinclair, it's right where it needs to be because it's a, it's a cheap product they can put together, right? And yep. it's a great filler for any of their outlets. They, they use it more so to fill content than they do to actually run it as a wrestling promotion. Every year I hear this story come up that Joe Coff asked for more money and every year Sinclair says, okay, well you asked for another $5 million. Here's another $500,000. See what you can do with that. And that's pretty much, you know, how they feel about ring of honor ring of honor functions as its own company, but it's under the Sinclair umbrella. I don't think Sinclair really gives a shit about ring of honor. Okay, so to kind of spin off in your take there, New Japan purchases Ring of Honor. What's what's the direction there? I mean, how do they how do they utilize already being in this, uh, I guess, North American market? Well, the, see, but here's the thing, <clears throat> and and inevitably this becomes the problem. If Sinclair were to sell Ring of Honor, does that do away with their TV contract? 
because their TV distribution deal is what makes Ring of Honor really worth much of anything. I mean, yes, Ring of Honor is solidified as the number two promotion in the United States, but that's because of the Sinclair deal. Well, I mean, for any, you know, any wrestling promotion, hell, anybody in entertainment and in many ways, I mean, just any kind of business, your, your distribution is your breaking point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and without this the, goes back to proper avenues. I mean, your brand, your product, whatever is completely worthless. And, and this goes back really to when Vince bought WCW. Without the TV contract, Vince bought WCW for literally pennies on the dollar because the company wasn't worth anything without the TBS and the TNT broadcasting rights. Well, you know, exactly why uh, Eric Bischoff and his group pulled out. Yep, exactly. When, you know, they, had, they had the deal in place to make that purchase. And, and if you listen to you know, Mr. Bischoff talk about their plans there, they knew they had to scale back. But as long as they had that base of you know, television distribution, they thought they could make it. But once, uh, the, once you the lose the TV contract, it's gone. You're right, and the same could be said. You know, everybody wants to jump on Heyman for you know some some poor business decisions with ECW. You know, ultimately, what did that is, it you know WWE was jumping around, was working these different stations, and it ultimately screwed over ECW, and they lost their distribution. Yeah, I mean, really, the, the thing that won the WWE the Monday Night Wars was their deal with USA Network. That was really the thing that put them over because they didn't have to renegotiate TV rights. But as soon as TBS and TNT and Time Warner wanted nothing to do with pro wrestling and they lost that TV time slot, there's nothing for WCW. Okay, so if New Japan then cannot strike a deal with Sinclair to to keep Ring of Honor programming or you know whatever they evolve into with the new hybrid between the two on television, then Ring of Honor itself is actually is essentially useless to new Japan. Exactly. Exactly. And inevitably that kind of becomes the problem here as new Japan wants to expand into the United States market. Whose market is that affecting? It's not affecting WWE's market share. It's severely affecting ring of honor. It's severely affecting impact wrestling. It's, it's not dipping into the WWE. It's all the other indie companies that are really going to suffer from New Japan expansion into the States, as weird and fucked up as that sounds. Okay, now let's, let's try to twist this into you know, the second part uh, where, that Aaron has added in here. And I've, I've, I've heard you speak on this before. You know, and Aaron's talking about with New Japan you know, attempting to move into you know, more of that Western or even U.S. market are they going to have to begin altering their product or what's your take on this all around? If, if do they need to, will they, should they? I think they already have. Look at the presentation of wrestle kingdom this year. It was a lot more sports entertainment than it was your traditional new Japan pro wrestling. Jericho had a lot to do with that, but again, they're catering to that Western audience by bringing Jericho in. They're doing a lot more storyline-driven angles as opposed to the traditional sports presentation that happens in Japan. And I think that really started with Bullet Club. When, when Devitt put the Bullet Club together and you started getting that NWO type of influence back into Japan, you know, the being the elite stuff. I mean, because you are seeing other New Japan talents appear on that show as well. Well, I think, you know, that's a, that's a great uh, little transition to, you know, the last part here that Seth Kennedy has added in here. You know, we've got this, this great build. Uh, and, and to me, 
you know, in the entire re- professional wrestling world, you know, really what you have going on between uh, the Bullet Club slash being the elite, then with Ring of Honor and New Japan is probably the most interesting story that we have going on at this point. And it looks like, you know, this thing is going to play out over the course of the entire year. Uh, so, you know, so Seth threw in here, you know, speaking of the all in, and he wants to kind of speak to the main event. Uh, do you further Ring of Honor business, New Japan business, or do you just let the Bullet Club guys kind of do their own? Well, and I think a lot of that is going to kind of depend on the contract situations that develop over the course of the next year. We know Kenny Omega's contract is up in January. We know that the Young Bucks contract is up before Wrestle Kingdom. Well, this is, this is all this is pertaining to the All In show. All these guys, right? But I'm saying where those contract negotiations stand very well could influence how All In is booked. If the Bullet Club is looking at going off and, as Stevie Richards put over, starting their own promotion, they may start their own business here, completely aside from Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling. If their contracts are coming due shortly thereafter, All In. They may be starting their own future business completely aside from Ring of Honor and New Japan. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, sitting here looking at the question and I'm just kind of, you know, staring at all hashtag all in. Uh, To me, this is the first time, you know, looking at this has really jumped off the page to me. To me, with all in, the deeper meaning there might be that this could be a great opportunity really to do business for everybody. And I really think, you know, because Seth there is actually asking about what kind of, what should be the main event. In today's age of professional wrestling, and especially for an event like this, I don't know if there is that one main event out there that is actually going to sell the tickets. You know, this isn't the days of where you can just throw out pretty much any kind of undercard and you've got Hawk Hogan up on your marquee that's going to sell right. your tickets. You need, you need top to bottom. You need something for everyone. This thing might even need to go beyond just a simple wrestling event. They're, they're going to have to structure this thing to the, a wide range of fans. You're going to have to go to the masses here you know, because their goal is 10,000 seats, and that is a hefty task. I, I don't see why you don't invite everybody all in. And even if it is going forward that the Bullet Club wants to start promoting the shows, wants to start going off you know, in, their, in their own direction, for the time being here, I think getting everyone together and maybe even you know bringing in and advertising other great promotions like Pro Wrestling Gorilla, you know, has a tremendous following. You know, to even tag their name onto this, I think that's the direction they need to go here. I mean, I, I, there's a very big part of me that feels like this almost needs to be Bola 2018, where where you're doing a very much a PWG card top to bottom where it is just a stacked card. I, I, now see, I, and you have, you have bowlers like that and they only fill 500 people in that arena. I know, but how it's much of 10, that is, 000. but how much of that is the arena? I mean, PWG clings to that small style arena. I mean, this is the, but I'm saying a bola type card. I would not make this a PWG show. I'm saying this needs to be a bola style card. This has to be as big as WrestleMania, as big as Wrestle Kingdom, top to bottom. This has to be an incredible card. And I and I think you got to go out there and and you got to appeal to a wide range of fans. You know, we just had news 
that broke uh, overnight that that New Japan has announced when they go to Long Beach, you know, they've got Rey Mysterio versus Jason Liger. Yeah. And that's already a sold-out show, and that's just a bonus for those people. But and it, we were already in a group discussing with a few people, and they, you know, they were like, well, I'd rather would see Ray working with so-and-so here. I, that's not the point of that match. That The point of that match is more of a nostalgia act. And, uh, and to me, it's to to bring in that wider fan base, you know, people that are going to be familiar with Ray and, and be more familiar with Liger because, you know, they're the two big all-time greatest high flyers in the history of professional wrestling. Yeah, I actually asked you earlier this morning, uh, when you're talking junior heavyweights, have there ever been two guys bigger than Jushin Liger and Rey Mysterio Jr.? I, I, I don't think there is. You know, you could, the only the person that came to my mind was uh, – with ultimate Dra- was dragon. And to me, he's still a distant third. Yeah. And, and the only other one that I would even begin to put into that conversation is Eddie Guerrero. I mean, and, these, and I, these guys are at that level. I mean, these guys are freaking legends. Well, you know, we're talking about, you know, what, you know, what they need to bring in here. And I know you're really going to hate this, but Hey man, he is going to put eyes on this show. If you're in that area, you love some wrestling or, you know, however they're going to market this thing, you're going to pay attention. He, I know he would get involved. Hulk Hogan would get involved with this thing. I was afraid you were going to say that. He, hey, he, I'm sorry, man. It ain't about what you want. It's I what know. the consumer wants. And there's people out there. I know. Um, uh, and then, you know, again, I, I still think probably, you know, they haven't officially announced for this thing's at yet, right? No. Okay. So we're still waiting on that. We're all still kind of working on the assumption that Chicago is the best place. Yep. Uh, I know our friends in New York would argue that because – uh, they're just being selfish assholes, and they don't want to have to travel anywhere. <laughs> but the logistics of it is Chicago is the best place for this. Hey, and come June at UFC 225. I was ch- That's exactly where I was going to go, too. I think if, if you're asking me what is my dream main event for the all-in show, it's Kenny Omega versus CM Punk. Without and, any question. And, and, we, and we have to wait till June at UFC 225 to see if that is even a possibility. Yep. And, and then what happens in the fallout thereafter? Like, if, if Punk goes out there and actually just straight up gets his ass whipped, I expect that will be the end of his UFC fighting career. Dana White will release him from his contract. And there's your main event. That's kind of my assumption. But I, I don't think he's going to go out there and get his ass whipped in any way, shape, or form. I think Punk might actually win that fight. But we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot more as June gets closer. Well, I think I think for Demetrius, Aaron, and Seth, I think uh, we covered it though, didn't we? What 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 would be your dream main event? Omega and Punk. I mean, is that to get to ten thousand seats? Is that your main event too? I would say that's probably it. I still think you know. I think that has to be it. If you're going with the singles, I still think maybe if you have, if if Punk's not available, you could get by with the Bucks versus. Uh, Omega and I, I'm sorry, what's his Ibushi. what's his buddy's name? Kota Ibushi. Ibushi. I, I think you could get by there and then have that big turn. I I, I just, but I'm with you. I, I, it's like a very uh, subpar runner up to Omega and Punk. I think if you're gonna go with the Young Bucks versus Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi, you need to market this thing completely differently. You don't market this like you would a normal wrestling card. You market this as you want to say fuck WWE? You show up at this show. This is how you do it. 
I think he, I don't. I, no matter how this this card stacks up, I think a lot of their marketing needs to be geared that way. Yeah, hey, it's all it's all of us versus the machine. Yep. Don't be here because there's any one match that you want to see. If you want to make a statement, this is how you do it. You show up at this show regardless of where it is, how much it costs you to get there, blah, 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 blah. That's how you make a statement. And if, the, and if there's any group that is is perfect to pandering to smarks and getting them to buy in. It's the Young Bucks. Yes. I mean, without any question. I, I love the Bucks, but yeah, I mean, without any question, they are marketing whores that, you know especially if you know we're out there we are pushing hard uh, anyone out there that's listening to us right now we know we've got a petition over through the hacker Hameen media group circulating you know we want to see ben Hameen versus his lot longtime rival dick justice the super cop dick justice we want to we want these guys to get booked on a show for the the blow off of blow offs to one of the greatest feuds that the independent scene has ever seen uh, so we're out there trying to get that movement going. You can do a simple Google search. Find the the Hameen versus Justice all in petition. Please sign that there. I know if this if these, if this match makes the card, I'm definitely going to be there. But I got a feeling I'm pretty much going to like not like what I see on the rest of the card. It's probably just not going to be my style. Uh, but it's going to be about the atmosphere of the party. Yeah, it's it's going to be it, it, one of those things that I rail on WWE for. This is going to be history making. History making, history making, history making. That that's what this is going to be. It's going to be one of those. You're either at the show or you hear about it and how awesome it was later. Uh, let's jump over to a question from our friend Craig Thompson Horsley. Horsley, uh, and, and he asks, of course, the question that everybody is just dying to know, Rick. If you could fuck, marry, or kill one of these three, which is which? Nia Jax, Tamina Snuka, or Ruby Riot? You, you know, this, this, uh, this question always finds its way into a mailbag, doesn't it? It always seems to. It always hey, seems to. Hey, it's all right because it's a front little game. Uh, I'm 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 very much questioning uh, Craig's um, taste in women here. Like, why 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 do you give us these three? Uh, I you know he's trying to make it to death, and I think he was trying to bait me into something here as well. Uh-oh. Uh, it, it is no secret how I feel about Nia Jax. I would never show. Blatant outward disrespect towards any professional wrestling talent. Uh, I admire everything they do and appreciate all the entertainment that they provide for us. And I say that with the exception of one individual, who I think is probably the biggest piece of crap in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, And that would be the, what is she, 280-pound Nia Jax. I believe she's down to 272. She's on the uh, Stevie Richards Fitness. Oh, she she's got the resistance band. She is over uh, chatting it up. Well, she's losing weight, man. Group. She's down to two seventy two. I mean, I because they announce her weight every time she walks to the ring. She's definitely losing weight. She's down to two hundred and seventy two pounds as of Monday Night Raw. Well, anyway, to get through this one kind of quick, uh, you know, I, I I guess everyone's expecting me to kill Nia Jax. You know what? I, I came in here kind of hot, politically charged early at the top of the show. I, I'm still. 
I'm still steaming a little bit. So I'm going to swerve everyone here a little bit. You know what? I am going to fuck Nia Jax. And when I am fucking her, it is going to be the most degrading experience of her life. Uh, it is going to be complete body shaming. I am going to be slapping the shit out of her jelly rolls. Uh, there might even be, uh, I might spit on her. There even might be some water sports. Uh, it is going to be the most degrading experience that she that she's ever going to have. Uh, and she is going to wish that I killed her. But no, I am going to fuck Nia Jax. Uh, when it comes to Mary, this, this is a tough one. You know when Riot kind of broke onto the scene in, on the blue brand, you know, I kind of said, you know, there was something about her. And you kind of called out you being the uh, the master of the psyche. You pointed out to me that it was just because of the role she was in. I was kind of attracted to. I guess I, I have a thing for girls with a little bit of power. But I don't think I can marry Ruby Wright because I, you know, I'm going to actually blame uh, Ben Hameen and more so Stevie Richards. You know, since they've been over on the, with the Russo brand. It's, uh, I guess this is... Yeah, I guess this is Russo that's been saying this. That they've all jumped on board this. That they say that Ruby Riot looks like Jeff Lane. And man, I just cannot be going home to that every night. So I'm going to have to kill Ruby Riot. And I guess by default, I am marrying into the Snooka family. Wonder if we can get a picture of Ruby Riot in a uh, puke stained Yankees hat. Uh, I'm sure they're floating around out I'm there. I'm sure they're floating around out there. Um, I'm going to go uh, with our old friend Sting. You remember when Sting was in WCW and he was doing like the whole curl gimmick? You remember what his entrance music was? It was a song called Seek and Destroy off the Metallica album Kill 'Em All. That's how I feel about this. Kill 'em all. Ain't none of them worth nothing. All freaking just be worthless. I like Rudy Riot, but not enough to fuck Mary to kill him.
Uh, let's move on to uh, Ben Hameen here. The Ayatollah himself submitted a question. And Jesus, you talk about asking the hard questions, man. Ben Hameen wants to know, how would you save Dolph Ziggler's legacy? Now, my first question when I read this question was, what is Dolph Ziggler's legacy? Rick, how do you feel about Dolph Ziggler? What is Dolph Ziggler's legacy to you? Yeah, I think right when I saw this, and you know, I want to give you know Ben a shout out along with Stevie Richards again. Man, they they were discussing this on the Friday edition of the Locker Room over with the Hacker Hobby Media Group. They had some great insight into this, you know, and and Ben goes a little bit back with Stevie. You know, they're both from OVW. I, I believe they were there together for a while. Yeah. Uh, it just, you know, personally for me, you know, I I already think Ziggler is Hall of Fame bound. I don't think he's one of those guys, you know, after he hangs it up that we see go in maybe within like five years. I think he's probably like that six to ten year range. You don't think Dolph right. Ziggler is a headliner, but he's a nice support act when you need one for the Hall of Fame. Correct. I think it will be a great story there. I mean, this guy, I, he's almost done it all within WWE. And you know, how many he's been world champion? I'll run down the resume here. He is the world heavyweight champion twice. He was the United States champion twice. He is a five-time intercontinental champion. He is a former world tag team champion. Uh, that goes all the way back to the Spirit Squad, by the way, in case you were curious. Uh, he has won two Slammy Awards. Uh, and he is the 22nd Triple Crown champion in history. The Wrestling Observer named him the most improved of 2011 and the most underrated of 2011. 
He also had the match of the year in 2014, Team Cena versus Team Authority at Survivor Series. You may remember Dolph Ziggler was the lone survivor in that match. And that was when, man, if they would have got behind Ziggler at that time, I mean, to me, Ziggler's legacy is that of unfulfilled potential. I will completely agree with you there. And it just added, you know, just some of these incredible stats here uh, for Dolph Ziggler. Going back to when he made his very first appearance on WWE programming, this is going back when he was Kerwin White's caddy. So we've had, he had that brief run there. Then he did go back to OVW for some polishing, then reemerged. But since then, he has been with the WWE for 4,527 days. That is just incredible. Uh, that puts him eighth with those under uh with the long actually with longest runs with you know in the modern with the modern ear look at some of these names that are ahead of him though you know you got john cena who i, I would almost still consider a regular he's starting to phase that out there yeah uh randy orton at six who is still a regular starting to phase it out a little bit though uh big show who contract will expire before he's back from injury yeah. you know so that's still in the air he's probably walking away uh kane Somewhat irregular, but you know that's probably almost going to come to an end with all the you know depending on his political his election. campaign. Yep. Yes, Mark Henry. Uh, it, it's everything but the retirement party. Yep. Triple H. Who is? I mean, he's not he's not going anywhere, but he's only going to you know he shows up for WrestleMania and to go over in your uh, native country. Yep. He's and on then the Undertaker number, schedule. And then the Undertaker. I mean, that's that's a great who's who who to be up there with for you know longevity within the company. I think one of the things that really hurts Ziggler, and maybe this is Ziggler's legacy. Ziggler is the first person that I remember being a victim of 50-50 booking. If the company would have just got behind Ziggler when he was hot and went with him instead of booking him 50-50 for his entire freaking career, God knows where Ziggler might have ended up. Well, before we jump in, and I think we need to go move into how to, I, I don't know if it needs much saving, but maybe redirecting. But hey, we talked about that very early on our Hitting the, Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling podcast. I would say like in the first like four episodes, I mean, we had that incredible stat uh, comparing Dolph Ziggler and Shawn Michaels. Yeah, and their win-loss records. But it was that Ziggler has worked. It was like what three times the amount of matches. Yeah, and and his win loss percentage is like fifty one forty nine. Right, uh, like to a T. He is the epitome of fifty fifty booking when you look at his career. Okay, now now going forward here, you know, with Ben's question, how would you save uh, Ziggler's legacy? Well, we know now that he does have a new deal in place. Uh, the other day, I was trying to fill you in on a little bit of the details. I have a little bit more on that real quick just for everybody. You know, it, it appears that when he laid down that title, his foot was pretty much out the door. He was. It was sounds like that was very much a shoot. Like, uh, well, like, like it was a work shoot, but like that there was definitely something going on behind yeah. the scenes there. Yeah. So they actually came to a deal. Uh, his new his new contract. He is still with the company. He's got some some little perks in there. You know, if he, when he comes to work a show, he gets to leave after his match. There's no hanging around there. He's allowed to take outside bookings as long as it doesn't conflict with anything he has going on within WWE. It sounds almost like the Jericho deal. 
It's almost maybe where the reins are a little tighter, where they can actually know where they do have him. Like, no, we need you on these tours right now. We, we need you here doing this. Uh, and I'm sure there might be some some different provisions in there that would you know that might prevent him from actually showing up on another major show. Uh, this you know, but you know he's involved in other things. You know he's he's a regular on uh, the Kennedy Show with on Fox News. You know, so he's got some political stuff going on there. He's into stand up. You know, he's, he wants to break into acting. So there are some other things that he can do here. So now going forward, I want to try. I would say. Let's let's utilize that. Don't just say, hey, when Dolph comes in, we're going to keep the same routine of maybe we'll try to build him up real quick just so we can break him down for somebody else. And and all they do when they repeat and recite or uh, rinse and recycle that the fans are growing numb to it. That's the reason he didn't get any response coming out at 30, because it was kind of like, here we go again. Do you think that. Gosh, what's the best way to say this? Can you repackage Dolph Ziggler at this point and treat him as a big deal part-timer? Or is he going to be the part-timer who comes in and just puts over younger talent? Here, here is my thing with him. I want to try to move in that direction so that when he does actually, I, I, don't, I want to begin moving him away from that put-over guy who's the first feud. Just that you you can so that someone coming from you know NXT or coming in new to the company can get you know become familiar with the audience or the audience become familiar with them. What I would do, I, I'm going to drop the Showstopper Act. One of the names that kind of or acts that jumped out to me. Remember back at ECW when when Austin had his brief stay there. Oh yeah, and he was using the superstar gimmick. Yep, and he was working some. I mean, some real you know, worked shoot promos. I mean, he was laying out some dirt, man. He, I mean, he was breaking the walls down there. Yep. I don't think Austin ever even had a match in ECW. It was oh, all, yeah, he did. did he? Yeah, he had a few. He was, uh, he, he was feuding with Sandman and uh whipwreck for the, for the title. He see, worked down there. See what, what, wait, was that before he went to WCW or are you that, talking because this, this is in between. This is when he left WCW and went to WWE. See, I, th- I thought he never had a match there. I thought it was all just character work and he never actually never. physically had a match there. Uh, Pillman never had a match there. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But Steve had some matches. I mean, he wasn't there long. But what you do remember are some of those promos. I remember yeah, the promos. Was. I don't remember any of the matches. But uh, I wouldn't go. I'm not. I don't want to directly just rip off the superstar gimmick, but I want to use some parts of it. And I would go with the superstar, Dolph Ziggler, and is that he kind of and and really use the deal, use what is in his contract. He can go where he wants. He can do what he wants. Use that in the character that he gets all these perks that he's better than you, so you don't get right. And here, you know, things I would do with it, like number thirty in the Rumble. Yeah, you, other people don't get that. Or I and, don't and have maybe, to qualify for money in the bank. They just put me in the match, right? And what you and how you how maybe you trigger this is, let's say they'll start at this Tuesday. You know, he they just out of nowhere announced that he's going to be taking on Baron Corbin. He wins that match and he's in the title match at Fastlane. Nope, I wouldn't even. Did, did they make that stipulation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now the winner of that match is going to be in the title match at Fastlane, and it'll be a fatal four-way. Shane announced this on Twitter the other day. 
You know what? I would I'd have him go over in that match. Absolutely. Uh, and I would even have him come out and cut the promo. Everyone's asking, okay, what the hell was about laying the, the belt down for? And to me, that could be the example. That was me making drawing the line in the sand. I do what I want when I want. I've put in the hours. I've been here, you know, 4,500 days. I'm the workhorse. I'm the one says I'm the true superstar. And then when he isn't when he isn't there, remind us what he's doing. Constantly remind us he's on Fox News. He's doing stand-up. He's traveling the world doing whatever he wants. Hey, if he wants to just come out and do commentary one week, let him do it. I want to see him come out and uh, approach Daniel Bryan when he has his match on SmackDown next Tuesday and say, hey, um, I know that this is supposed to be the main event tonight and you've been advertising it all week, but I need to be out of here by 730. So can we put that match on first? Yeah, and then almost, you know, kind of reminiscent of when they would say Shawn Michaels has left the building. Announced Dolph Ziggler has left the building. Well, maybe not that so much so you're ripping it off, but have Ziggler's matches go early. He goes over, grabs the mic, and he's like, Thank you. Thank you, Iowa. You've been great. I'm out of here. I'm and happy to be him, out of this shithole. Yeah, like yeah, and then he's and then later on just show him like leaving. Or maybe like you're doing an interview and Ziggler's just walk by in the background with his bags and gets in his car. Yeah. Something has very early in the show with what he's got. Hey, and it going on. Let's let's have him go over Corbin this week. He put gets himself into the WWE Championship, and then he no shows. He oh, had something that would come be up. great. He had he, something better to do. He had something better to do than go to uh, Columbus, Ohio, in the middle of, of a snow. You know, and yeah, and come out on March. SmackDown and be like, you know, I had something better to do than go to Columbus, Ohio, and wrestle in the main event of a B level pay per view. I'm a WrestleMania level performer. Yes. Yeah. You want to get some real heat back on you? Yeah. Uh, this is what you do here. And then it starts making him a big deal. And, and then, then you, you want to see him get his ass kicked. And that's how you save Dolph Ziggler's legacy. You make him a pompous ass heel Ziggler. That's what his freaking Twitter handle has been forever. For God's sake, he won two Slammy Awards for it. Heel Ziggler. Hey, this is one thing. And Ben would agree with this. You know, because we all get on, you know, the three of us here, we get on these talents because we can't, we can't relate with how they are on social media or, you know, how they portray themselves in their life, opposed to their characters. If you just let the character be Dolph, he's going to get back over. And then you just, you over-exaggerate, you know, his contract and the pompous heel act. And I think you got a winner. I think you do too, man. Because are you a total divas watcher? Uh, not anymore. Not anymore. Um, back, God, this was several seasons ago. Maybe, hell, it might have even been the first season. There was a, a whole sequence where Ziggler was approaching Nikki Bella and, and, I, I and do trying to that. steal Nikki away from Cena and stuff. Yeah. Give me that Dolph Ziggler turned up to 11 on camera. I'm better than you. It's in the contract. I don't have to qualify for money in the bank. They just put me in the match. I don't wrestle at B-level pay-per-views in Columbus, Ohio. I wrestle in Madison Square Garden, the Staples Center, where it matters. Well, you, know, you, 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 like, you really want to get some heat like on the, on the Columbus stuff. You could even have him show up on you know, the Tron or hey, Skype in or Facebook Live in, however you want to do it. From on the and set then, of somewhere. Wherever, whatever he's doing, and he's like, Columbus, Ohio? He's like, I'm not a college town guy. I'm for the pros. I'm a big leaguer. 
Oh, in that crowd, because believe me, you know, here in Ohio, like if you attack uh, the Buckeyes or Ohio State <laughs> or something like that, oh, they freak out, man. You talk about some heat. That'd be good. That'd be good. I'd like to see that. And Ziggler's the kind of guy that can pull it off. I was a big Dolph Ziggler fan for quite a while. And they just booked him like shit. And it's kind of like Bray Wyatt. We had this conversation on the last episode. Bray well, Wyatt let's, is let's, just let's so damaged. Spinning too much off here. Well, no, but I'm just saying he's he's so damaged in the booking that you can't take anything that he does seriously anymore. That's very much Dolph Ziggler. He's just been so damaged in the booking. You have to protect him in the booking. Ziggler can come out and talk all the shit he wants. If he doesn't fucking win, nobody cares. Ziggler's got to win once in a while. Uh, let's see. Who, who do we got here next? Uh, oh, Mr. Powers. Mr. James M. Powers. And I thought this was a really good question. Congratulations to you, Mr. Powers. I, I must say, I did cringe a little bit when I saw that you had replied to this thread. Uh, what do you guys see Ronda Rousey doing after WrestleMania? Since they keep saying that she is signed to a quote unquote full-time deal, she must be doing something. Um, I think the logical conclusion right now, at least in my mind still, is Sasha Banks. I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction here. You know, we've had recent reports coming out that that they that they really want to, to utilize Ronda's mainstream exposure to help that grow the brand aware Stephanie, you know, the Stephanie McMahon brand on to more of a grander scale. Here. I guess, I guess the first question is what is Rhonda doing at WrestleMania? That's the first question because I mean, what she's doing after WrestleMania very much depends on what she's doing at WrestleMania. Well, and, and I wanted to, I wanted to put a different twist on this because everyone, you know, just assumes that, or, you know, the big rumor, I don't say the same, but the big rumor is out there that we're going to get some kind of mixed tag involving, Rhonda, a partner versus Stephanie and Triple H. Yep. Yep. Uh, even if they go with that, you know, maybe there's a, a swerve in that match. But going forward, if you want to to use Rousey to help promote Stephanie, could it be easier to have them together? To have Stephanie and Rousey together? Have them uh, in some sort of alliance. Have, have like Rousey be the uh, Ken Shamrock of the corporation? Something, yeah, something like that, you know, or, and then that way they can go do all these, this way, then this way they're not playing opposite of each other on television and then going out to do these, you know, PR appearances and our sorority sister types, right? Where it's, oh, we love working together. This is something great. And then you tune in on Monday and they're at each other's throats. And, and yes, we all know, you know, the difference between the two, but when you, when you clearly cut those lines and you're and you're living two different lives, it really kills the product. And, and that's an argument that so many of us traditionalists have. You know, the best thing about wrestling is that you're there's blurred lines. Um, I, I, I think all of this kind of ties in together, um, along with the main event of WrestleMania this year, Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. Uh, who do you think is gonna be Ronda Rousey's partner? That's the first question. Well, we're, we already know it's, I guess it's, it's down to the, the short list. You know, if the rock is number one, obviously they're going to try to do everything and anything they can to make that happen. Right. I uh, don't think number, that's going to happen because, of, uh, then, because of the Hollywood insurance purposes. Right. And you know, that goes out there and then Kurt angle and then Braun is a, is a long shot. 
Um, I'm going to throw one more in there. And I think if we can't get rock, this is the one that I want. Dave Batista. I think that would be kind of big. Yeah, I think that would work. That's that, that's that's actually a really good pitch. You know, that comes it's a little bit out of left field. You haven't, I haven't seen heard anyone, but when you say when you hear it, um, we know that originally a couple of years ago they wanted to get to Batista and Triple H, and Batista left early. Batista has also been teasing inside of the media that he is open to a full time WWE return. My hesitation in saying Batista is the same thing that we have with The Rock. I mean, the Batista has become a pretty big freaking Hollywood movie star if you haven't heard of Guardians of the Galaxy at this point. You know? So I don't know if you would run into the same Hollywood kind of insurance deal, but if you could get Batista and Ronda Rousey together with both of them being Hollywood crossover stars and Batista's going to be around for a while, I would put Brock Lesnar over Roman Reigns, and then at SummerSlam do Batista versus Lesnar for the title. Heyman crosses Lesnar, joins Batista and Rousey, and you're off and running with Paul Heyman and Ronda Rousey. And from there, you can do pretty much whatever the hell you want because Paul Heyman's going to be able to sell it. Somehow, I think you have to get Paul Heyman and Ronda Rousey together. I use Batista as that transition. I could get down with that, and I think the fans would really, really buy into it. Uh, another, I, I still just think if you're going to use the Rousey vehicle to drive Stephanie to greater heights, I, I see it working better if they are somehow together as opposed to one another on television so that everything clicks together. I think another thing to keep in mind here is, you know, James points out a full-time deal. So in my mind, he's assuming that like so many others are that she's going to be there all the time. Well, I think full-time is going to be the Lesnar deal, maybe a little bit more. And I, if, if you're going to get Batista back on a full-time deal, I expect that's kind of going to be the same sort of situation. The, the thing to remember here with Rousey full-time, because this has come from ESPN, so you know they're probably thinking, well, she's just signed to them throughout the year or for a multi-year deal, so that means full-time. She's committed not, to the WWE for the next three years. Right. Full-time doesn't mean 255 dates. It, yeah, it's not the full-time, you know, working the house show circuit, you know, working every television, working every pay-per-view that a lot of these fans are assuming that means. Yeah, Brock Lesnar is full-time in their mind. Right. And the trick with Rousey is going to be less is more. They do not want to overexpose this. They want to keep her for their special dates, keep her for their special programs. Or either people are going to be tired. If they would go the other route where she is there all the time, people are going to be tired of her by SummerSlam. Uh, Ben and Stevie, I I think it was Ben and Stevie. Maybe it was on Russo's show. uh, We're talking about Rousey. And I think my biggest fear with Rousey is you ever see Rousey at a weigh-in? That girl has like no personality when she is in the zone. If anything, she has the personality of Brock Lesnar. I think you need to get Heyman with Rousey if you're going to make money with Rousey long term over the next couple of years. Just because Heyman knows how to sell it. I don't even think she's that great with a script either. No, I, I completely agree. 
completely agree. Even just pointing at the WrestleMania sign, everybody was commenting how she was marking out. Uh, and that's going back. That's my biggest fear. They they need to they need her to. I think in my mind they need to have her present herself. Is this is a legit move for me? This yep. is a legit business. This is a legit career. But it's they're going to treat her more like a mark than a professional. That's going to be a pain in the ass. But you know anyway. But we're we're talking about WrestleMania. Uh, you want to move on here? Yeah, Jeremy Ellingsworth asks if we were in charge. Who would be your champions going into WrestleMania? Uh, we were discussing this off air last night, and my initial response to you was, I think this is the one thing they've got right. You've got AJ Styles, Brock Lesnar, Charlotte, Alexa Bliss, The Miz, The Usos, The Bar. What championship I've, do you want to change? I've got a few. I completely agree with you there. They've, I'm going to say they got this damn near right. Uh, Universal, obviously Brock Lesnar. He, he is your biggest star right now. He is your draw power. I, I love him with the Universal. I think he's in. Uh, maybe Roman Reigns isn't the right guy that I would be handing it over to going into Mania. I can agree uh, with that. And, and, and just real quick on that, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time just talking about Lesnar here. But you brought up a great point. I want to get it back out there for any of the, the new ears that we have joining us uh, for this episode. Everyone's pretty much convinced that Roman's going over in that match. But Don't you've done your, your math. You've done your. You've done some math there. Brock Lesnar would actually surpass. Was it? Is it a CM Punk for the longest reigning modern era champion by what? Money in the Bank or at Money in the Bank? Um, I think it was shortly after Money in the Bank, or maybe it was right before. Money I think in it was the right bank. before because I think in your scenario, if he held just then and came back and defended at Money in the Bank of that, maybe that's what it was. Then um, he could drop it then. And what's the significance of Money in the Bank? Um, it's in Chicago, CM Punk's hometown. Uh, and, and we all know WWE likes to erase certain names at certain times from their record books. Um, I think the biggest thing here is going to be, is Lesnar going to resign? Because his contract is up right after WrestleMania. I, I've, I've heard some different stories on that, that they can, that there is an option for an extension to SummerSlam. Uh, but I just don't know the full details, but not to spend a whole lot of time on Lesnar there. Uh, AJ Styles, you're right. Perfect WWE champion. The only thing I would change there is that AJ would be right now celebrating a year long plus run. Yep. And Nakamura wouldn't have been beaten by Jinder Mahal twice for the championship. So Shinsuke wouldn't be nearly as damaged in the public's eyes at this point. I'd have Miz with the IC. Uh, US, I, I thought about this. I don't like Rude with that belt. I don't like I don't like where Rude is positioned, you know, in, on the card in how he's presented. Who would be your I, U.S. champion going into I, WrestleMania? I think I'm thinking about it. I think I would ha- I would have had Jinder with the title. I was just gonna. My response was gonna be Jinder Mahal should be the U.S. champion going into WrestleMania. I, I gave some thought to Rusev, but he's so hot right now that he doesn't need that thing. Yeah, no, I I would have much rather seen Jinder Mahal as a eight month reigning United States champion going into WrestleMania and I, I AJ am, on a one year run as champion. I am, I am with you. Uh, the, you know, with the tag team, those are hard to argue. I think they're with the current layout, how they have things set up. They're the two most talented teams between you know, raw with the bar and the Usos on SmackDown. Yeah. I mean, really the only one that I would even begin to entertain would be the Usos not being champion 
and that would require American Alpha still being together on SmackDown. Yeah, with the current landscape, they're right. Yeah. Same same with the women. Yeah. You got the two you got the two most talented from each brand representing US champion uh, and Bliss and Sharshar. The only one that I think that you could begin to debate would be that Asuka should be the Raw women's champion at this point instead of Alexa Bliss because Alexa has been damaged greatly in the last four months. I, I think, you know, with that slow start with Asuka, they're they're correcting how they're building her. And I really like that big, hopefully that big payoff for her at, at WrestleMania. Uh, then my only other one, you know, that when we were talking, we didn't even think to talk about, I guess. Uh, cruiserweight, we wouldn't be having a tournament right here. We would have had, we would have been no reason to vacate the title with Enzo getting dismissed from, from his employment with the company because Finn Balor would have had the title already. Yep. Yep. Both you and I would have had the title on Balor months ago at this point. Uh, before, almost before the announcement of them attempting to run 205 live events. I mean, when Neville was champion, we were pitching for Neville and Finn right. to be the cruiserweight program after so, uh, Aries. So right after WrestleMania last year is when we started talking about moving Balor. So I think, you know, just real quick to recap, we pretty much agree. We got Universal Lesnar. We got WWE AJ, IC Miz, US Dender, uh, Raw Tag, The Bar, SmackDown Tag, The Usos. We're stick, still sticking with the, uh, the women the way they are with Bliss and Sharshar with their belts. And we both would agree that the cruiserweight would be on Finn going into WrestleMania. My only correction is uh, Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar should not be the universal champion because we all know that the champion of the universe is really Tyler Breeze. Uh, Mike Garrity wants to know, or no, I, actually, let's go to Alfred first. Alfred wants to know, where do you think Tama Tonga fits into the Bullet Club leadership uh, spectrum as it kind of goes? Uh, we were joking around off the air last night when this question came up and we were like, Hey motherfucker, go back and listen to like what? Two weeks ago's episode. I oh, was just last week. Was it last but week? He, but, you know, but you know what? Uh, Alfred might've already picked this up because this morning he we were talking in a thread and he said he did go back and listen to the show. I just can't remember if we were talking about it, uh, here on the hitting the, hitting the Mark's pro wrestling podcast, or if we touched on it over on the Monday edition of the locker room and Hacker Hami Media Group. It's hard telling. So, hey, but anyway, so many shows at this point. But anyway, you know, it, it is a good question. It is a good you know, question. Everyone is, everyone is so concerned about what's going on here with Cody and Kenny uh, that, you know, that they kind of forget about somebody like, like Tonga or yeah. even, you know, the bigger picture of what's really happening here, you know, altogether. Uh, we, I was watching the Olympic uh, parade last night with the wife and uh, New Zealand came out and New Zealand's dressed in all black. And I was just like, yeah, look at those murdering bastards. Of course, bad luck follows from New Zealand murdering bastard. Poor Daryl Takahashi. Um, but yeah, the OGs definitely got something to say. Tama Tonga put that over in a promo here a couple of weeks ago that, they know what's going on. They see what's going on. They hear what everybody's saying, but nobody's asking them for their opinions. Nobody's asking Bad Luck Fale what he thinks, what Tama Tonga thinks, Tonga Loa, Yujiro Takahashi. Like, there is a whole other development of the Bullet Club. You know, it's not just the elite. What do they got to say about everything that's going on? How do you suppose they feel that this match is going to finally take place and it's going to happen in Ring of Honor? They're not even going to freaking be there for the match. 
I think, I think the OGs are going to have something to say. Uh, you and I have both talked about this many a times. We were ready for Tama Tonga to get a big push in the G1 last year. Uh, they pushed him for basically the first half of the G1, and then it seems like they kind of lost faith in him and started pushing Juice Robinson instead. Uh, Tama Tonga had a really good first half. Juice had a really good second half. Uh, it all kind of balances out in the booking. But they are not ready to move Tamatonga into any kind of a singles position. We, we talk all the time about how bad the New Japan tag division is right now. The one staple over there is the Gorillas of Destiny. They've been there forever. I don't think you really want to take them out of the tag division to give Tamatonga a singles push at this point. Well, let me, let me ask something. Yeah, I've seen a lot of the Gorillas of Destiny, you know, quite a few of their matches. But last night... You know, as we were talking about this and after, you know, we hung up the phone with one another, I, I went and did a little more research just on Tamatanga himself. In the grand scheme of there, I mean, seemed, I mean, the guy's got a, a very fascinating story, a great career path. Uh, it was very interesting read, but it almost seems that he's one of those guys, you know, maybe as we were talking about Dolph earlier, where they like they can let it, they let him rise a little bit, but it's quick to pull him back down. Yep. Is he really seen anything more than a tag team specialist? Not really. When it comes to New Japan, not really. Uh, they, they they tease a singles push for him every couple of years in the G one, because there is something to Tamatonga. I love watching Tamatonga wrestle. There's something about the way that guy moves in the ring that is different than everybody else. Like watching Tamatonga run the ropes is fascinating because he makes it look so much cooler than everybody else. A lot of the little slides and stuff that Kenny Omega does, Tamatonga does it. That's where Kenny Omega got it from and Tamatonga does it better. But for some reason, he's just and maybe part of it is his presentation because Tamatonga does not give a fuck. And I think that's pretty clear in a lot of his promos. And if he's not happy with something, he'll, he'll, he's kind of got that Sasha Banks thing going to him. You know, where we always rail on Sasha. Just shut the fuck up. Tamatonga's kind of like that. He'll go backstage at a press conference and just start lighting up the New Japan upper management and the booking committee and swearing up a storm. Him and Tonga Loger, both like that. I, I, I don't know. I think, I think a big part of what's holding Tamatonga back is Tamatonga. Uh, I think you, I think you kind of nailed it there for him as far as the leadership goes. So let's jump over to Jersey Mike's question. Not presented by Kleenex to my amazement. Whoever would have thought that Jersey Mike was going to ask us a question and it would not involve the female talent. I was surprised. He wants to know how would we book John Cena and Undertaker at WrestleMania if it does happen? Would it be a career match? And who would you put over? Not that this is a complicated question or anything. Uh, I, I guess on the back end, these are the two easier parts here. Uh, for me, a career match, no. It doesn't need an obvious stipulation like that. Uh, maybe there is. I just wasn't making an official stipulation. I, I guess maybe setting it up, I would play into a, a career coming to an end. Uh, and putting over... Uh, you know, I, let's let's save that one. Let's let's talk through this thing. I think both of these guys really need a win. That's what makes this thing whole, so freaking intriguing. 
is both of these guys really need a win. Cena has not had a big win since he won number 16. Would you agree with that? You know, tremendous match. Uh, it was a match of the year candidate. I would say that's probably like, the, yeah, on, you know, on paper, the last big win that he's had. But even, you know, that kind of, you know, looking back on it, it loses its luster because it was a transition phase. Yeah. Like Cena, Cena already feels like a nostalgia act and he just went part time at SummerSlam. So what I think is really what's really good here is the story. And maybe they are. Maybe this is one thing they are really getting right. And we just need to let this thing play out. And maybe what kind of I, I, if I'm feeling you, if I'm feeling you here, uh, I think I am. I think we're moving in the same direction. Maybe they're hit, they're getting this one really right. But, you know, they've got Cena right now where he he is sensing that himself. You know, there is that sense of urgency like, man, I haven't been myself in a long time. How am I, I going to get to WrestleMania? Because there's nothing about his resume that says I am worthy of a main slot at WrestleMania right now. Other than the and, fact that he's John Cena. And you could really have him start panicking and even play into, man, I was that guy that said I'd never leave. And I didn't think I was leaving when I went to do those movies or go onto the television sets. But I think I've lost a step, man. Am I losing it here? And I'm usually leading the way to WrestleMania. Now I'm being left behind on the road to WrestleMania. So I think the first step on Cena's road to WrestleMania is obviously he loses at the elimination chamber. I think that much is absolutely obvious. Roman Reigns goes over. That's how you get to Roman versus Brock. So then we're left with Fastlane because John Cena, as we have noted, is also being advertised for Fastlane on March 11th. What does John Cena do at Fastlane? I'm assuming he faces Shinsuke Nakamura for the number one contendership. That's my assumption. What do you think of that? I could get down with that. And then he loses there. And then he loses there. And then he has no idea how he is going to get to WrestleMania. And maybe he just shouldn't go to WrestleMania. Or maybe he should just go. Maybe it's time for John Cena to go away. You know what I, you know what I think would be a cool visual? Uh, Cena's out there giving you know that speech, and this guy could be able to pull it off. You know, he's getting a little emotional. And like I said, you know he's giving that, and I I usually lead. I'm driving on the road to WrestleMania. Now I'm on the now I'm left off the side of the road here. And maybe he gives it a visual where he takes the wristband, he takes the the wristband off, he takes the hat off, and he begins to land in the ring. And then the lights go, and we hear the dong. Yep. And out comes the dead man. And that's how we get to John Cena versus Undertaker at WrestleMania. That match really does not need more than, what, three weeks to build it? Well, and here's here's an idea I had. Uh, Just going back real quick, you know, Undertaker comes out. Have Undertaker issue the challenge. And in that, you know, Undertaker kind of says, you know, I've been I've been for a long time questioning my own position in in this crazy world, in this WWE universe. Do I still have it? John, I can see the look in your eyes. You're you're there. He said, and Undertaker maybe brings up some way, like there's already two nails in the coffin. Does John, can John make it the third one? Uh, or can Undertaker, or who's, you know, who's going to show they're moving on? So you have the challenge set there. 
as as this thing starts to play out, you need John Cena to really express he needs to win this match for his legacy. John Cena needs to win this match because John Cena ain't done a whole lot in the last couple of years. John Cena don't want to be that guy who's just holding on. John Cena doesn't want to be that horse that doesn't know it's time to go out to pasture. John Cena needs to win this match. And Undertaker needs to come back and say, you know what, boy? I need to win this match, too. I've lost two of my last three at WrestleMania. They, they could tie everything we were mentioning together there. But you're talking about you know some of the build for this. This match's appeal, I mean, it's a tremendous marquee match. You know, it's two. And I also would like Undertaker to even go in there while he's challenging Cena to put Cena over as, you know, the 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 greatest name of the WrestleMania generation. And Undertaker has lived through them all. Yeah. He was a part of the Hogan, the Rock, the the Austin, and Cena. He's, he's been through them all. all down. And now he wants this one on the grandest stage. Now, you're talking about a little hype. Now, this match is is a great marquee match. Uh, the nostalgia here, I mean, you're, you're talking about some old school fans are going to want to come back for this one. Now, there is a little, there is a certain problem here. You know, some of the people I, you know, that I used to run with that stopped watching a couple years ago, they're obviously going to see this in, you know, it's like, well, that's not The Undertaker. It's not the same taker. You know, this isn't really the same thing to me. You're not going to have them both there building a story each week. I get with USA and I run one, maybe a two-parter, like a 30 for 30 documentary highlighting these two, like show the great clips, really drum up the emotion for everybody, for every fan that has followed from Undertaker through Cena here. I mean, I want like tearjerker stuff, really make us buy into this damn thing without any, with no really need except for this one time meeting between these two. Right. Uh, and make it a special. And to me, it has to be on USA. Don't put it on network because you're you are you're just going to have the fans you already have. You have to reach out and grab. Right. You have to sell the fans that don't already have the network. That's the point of bringing the Undertaker in to begin with. Right. Is to hey, pull in last fans. I don't care if you have to take one hour of, of Raw one week to run this thing. There's yeah. a special. There's a special event. Or you know, run it on a you know a Tuesday after SmackDown, or or try to get it on an a, a earlier primetime slot for USA some other time in the week. That would build this thing up here, uh, and I guess you could hint at career stuff. I like I said, I would. Hint I don't to think I would make it a clear stipulation. That's overbooking stuff here. Yeah, I don't think the Undertaker strikes me as a kind of guy who is going to have a career match. I now I think. Now, who would you put over here? Let's get to the last part. That's the tough one. That's the tough one. Because as I was saying, honestly, both of these guys need this match. I think I would put Undertaker over, though. I'm going to go with Undertaker over. Cena, I, if, if he needs, if he's ever needed a match, it could be argued this is it. Uh, but I still think that he is, he is such a star still. That even in defeat, and it has to be one hell of a match, man. This has got to be a great finish. But Cena could come back in two years. And if Roman Reigns is as hot as Vince supposedly thinks that he's going to be, if John Cena comes back and beats Roman Reigns, he avenges this loss to Undertaker. 
Undertaker's never going to have that opportunity again. Hell, you know, I don't know Cena's upcoming schedule. I'm sure, you know, post WrestleMania through WrestleMania 35, you know, he's going to have some, some more breaks because he's there's already rumored films out there and projects for him. But you know what? The night after WrestleMania, that big announcement on Raw, I start a year long program. Uh, Cena comes out, cuts his promo that he got the very best out of the Undertaker. If it's you know if it happens to be the last time we see Taker, then Cena was honored to to be there to be a part of that. He gave it his all, and even in defeat, he realized that yes, he still bleeds WWE. This is still his home. He still is very much a huge part of the universe, and that then he there he vows to begin his journey to one year from now in number seventeen. Bring, yes, I like it. I like it. Uh, our buddy William Alicia wants to know who are some of your favorite writers from around the world and what angles come to mind from those writers? I think this is a baiting question, Rick. I think this is a baiting question. Should, should we just get it out of the way first before we move on? We all know, uh, Hey, what, what a great time for a, for a plug here. You can always check out our, I guess our fearless leaders here at the, not here, but is our, our, our part-time job over with the Hacker Hameen Media Group. Our fearless leaders there, Ben Hameen and Stevie Richards. You can catch them every week on the Russo brand with the Raw and SmackDown reviews. Uh, always, always an inter- interesting and entertaining program, to say the least there. Uh, so I guess what he is fishing for, he wants us to talk some Russo, correct? That's what it sounds like. Um, but he's he's not going to get a whole lot of Russo praise out of me, man. Um, if I want to talk about my favorite writers, see, he, he shot himself in the foot here because he says from around the world. I, I know where you were going. And, Ghetto you know what? and Jetto. I, I, I was going to say, you know, let's, let's give Russo his praise. I mean, the guy was the mind behind, you know, the hottest year in professional wrestling. You know, through the ups and downs, man, the guy was throwing it out there. He... It was a hot product. It was musty television, arguably the most popular time in, in the history of the business. Well, and to be clear, I'm not a Russo hater in any way, shape, or form, but I don't think I've ever seen anybody who fishes for compliments as much as Vincent Russo. So I just don't want to give them to him. Uh, I think, you know, the other obvious one there before you dive into uh, your guys on the other side of the globe, a lot of our listeners out there, you know, they come to mind like a, like a, a Paul Heyman. Yeah, uh, I think Paul Heyman absolutely is worthy of being discussed here. I think what Paul did with ECW, with the limited budget and the limited talent roster that he had, he he absolutely maximized everybody's talents and minimized what they were not good at. I know, like if Paul Heyman was booking the show, you wouldn't have Shinsuke Nakamura cutting twenty minute promos. I love the way. That you worth that, and, and I want to add, you know, for both of those guys, Russo and Heyman, uh, it was about innovation. Yep, pushing the envelope. All right, so I'll let you lead, man, because you're—I know you're going to go with the. Uh, well, it, it, I'm going to backtrack here just a little bit because if we're going to put over Vince Russo, I'm also going to put over Ed Ferrara, because I, f- I feel like Ed Ferrara doesn't get nearly the credit that he deserves because he's not in the limelight like Russo is. Uh, Ed Ferrara is just a teacher down at Full Sail. But, it, but you know, on the flip side, though, 
when you don't get the credit, you don't get the heat as well. That is true. Uh, Ferrara never had the personality that Russo did. He also never booked himself to be WWE champion or WCW champion. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Gato and Jado. I mean, when, when I want to talk about my favorite booking team slash writing team, um, I'm, I'm going with what New Japan's had going on for the last five, six years, uh, really through the about mid-2000-ish through current uh, and that regime. Uh, and I think most of it is just trusting your talent to go do what they do. I, th- I think less is more when it comes to the writing team. And it seems like, you know, Gato's like, okay, here, here's what we're going to do. This is the match. You guys figure it out. I mean, for the love of God, yesterday I saw a press conference that at the entire match is being built around the fact that Will Ospreay prefers baked chicken to grilled chicken and Hiromu brought him grilled chicken and Ospreay's was, you know, not very happy about it. And now Hiromu thinks that he's been degraded and now he has to challenge Ospreay for the title. Like that is a legit storyline going on over in Japan. Hiromu didn't know how Ospreay liked his chicken cooked. Now, it works because Hiromu's batshit crazy, but, you know, that's a whole nother episode. I could do an hour about Hiromu Takahashi and how fucking crazy that guy is. Dean Ambrose, take notes. Gato and Jado, it sounds like uh, some, like, Disney racist version of, like, Chippendale. <laughs> it really kind of does. It really kind of does. Like a, like a knockoff, like, Disney, like, Japanese version. <laughs> Oh, you're just thinking of, you know, like the like fully slanty-eyed chipmunks with like the little like Japanese hats on or whatever they call them. Gato and Jado, Rescue Rangers. That's the name for this show. Gato and Jado, Rescue Rangers. Tremendous. Uh, I, I'm going to go a little old school with mine. And I'm going to go back to, you know, you know I'm going to start going way, way back uh, to the 80s. And I really I don't have... I don't really know who to give the credit here to. I, you know, so I'm just going to say the Von Erichs, the family. You know, yeah. it, it had to start with Fritz. Yep. But I'm sure you know the boys had a hand. And when I was talking about innovation, you know, just not from the storyline points, but you know, the production of how they were the, like the first promotion to to use entrance music and how they presented their shows, and it, and it really just you know the simplistic storytelling they did. It was just there was real heat there. It was simple storytelling. Good versus evil. Uh, it was very clear the direction. The fans knew how to take it in. And, of course, I'm talking – I'm just saying that the, the minds behind world-class championship wrestling. Yeah, that's a good answer. That's a really good answer. Uh, two other ones I've got here. Uh, you know, in early to mid-2000s, I kind of turned away from WWE. And this is when I really started to reach out and learning about you know, some of the great independent promotions that were going on in the time. Uh, I, my love for wrestling was still there. I just really wasn't, I wasn't really feeling the ruthless aggression here at the time. Uh, so, and I, and I was lucky enough where I was at in Cincinnati in a tri-state area there between Kentucky and, and Indiana and Ohio that we picked up a ton of great in, independent wrestling. OVW. Uh, I, I don't know exactly who or, you know, spanning over the years that I followed them, but I know they were involved. Jim Cornette, Danny Davis, and Al Snow. Yeah. Again, it was very simple storytelling, and they had great characters. Uh, and then right in my own hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio, you had the Heartland Wrestling Association, 
with you know one of the most legendary trainers of all time and a tremendous mind for just putting together programs and you know matches and storylines in Les Thatcher. Yeah. Got some good ones, man. You really put some effort into this. Put some effort into this. Uh, actually, man, when I saw the question, those were the, the first ones that came to my mind. Uh, here, here's another one that I'm going to throw out there that we don't talk about in this light right now, but I think that we may look back on in this light a few years from now, and that's Gabe Sapolsky. Uh, what, what Gabe did in the early days of Ring of Honor what he did with Evolve and this Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa story that's going on in NXT right now screams Gabe Sapolsky. I'm not sure how much of this he is truly responsible for, but it screams Gabe Sapolsky storyline to me. Uh, did you did you have a chance to check out NXT this week? Speaking of, uh, I, I I have not yet. Uh, really good promo out of Johnny Gargano. Really good promo. Uh, people say the white meat baby face is dead, and we're not talking about Demetrius Zerdos. Uh, Johnny Gargano might be the last of a dying breed right there. Uh, Paul Arzola wants to know, who in the Hameen media discussion group, outside of the ones that do podcasts, would you like on your show? I.e. hitting the marks or the locker room. Boy, this doesn't seem like a baiting question either, does it? Uh, we discussed this off the air. I think I think we agree that the answer here is Paul Arzola. Come on down. You're the next contestant on hitting the marks. What do you think? Is is that your 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 answer as well? You know, I, there, I had a few others. You know, that, hey, we you know we had the Gooch on. What a great time he was. I mean, you talk about one of the that great was a good time in the group. Uh, you know, I also think uh, you just mentioned, man, the. Uh, the white meat baby face, Demetrius. Uh, uh, he seems very knowledgeable. He, he's got a lot of a lot of good friends with inside the industry. I'm sure he's got a lot of great stories, and, we, and I know he's got tons of knowledge to, uh, that he would be willing to share with us there. And man, I I, I feel kind of bad. I, I I had the name on the top tip of my tongue. Oh man, I feel really bad. I think to it, I'll come back to it. But yeah, as you were saying, though, uh, Paul, Paul Arzola, Paul himself, uh, we we were kind of knocking it around. We would love, and I guess this is our official invite uh, to have him come on and, and weekly be a part of our show. Uh, we'll get with him, you know, about details how to work it out. But we love to do a feature where we just kind of drop your sound bite in with uh, this weekend wrestling. Uh, he's doing a great job with. You know, every day he's giving us great content for today in the history of professional wrestling. Uh, but, you know, if we can come up with something just to give you a quick little segment, you know, on, you know, either our, our Thursday or Saturday show with to kind of do a complete weekly recap. I also need to uh, kiss and make up here uh, with uh, Andrew Ballo because I was trying to call him out and he's actually a really nice guy. But that OK Fabe guy, that motherfucker, he called me out on his show this week. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, Matthew Schaefer Gage? That was my other one, man. That guy oh, does yeah. a that guy does a tremendous job uh, for the group over there. He's constantly putting over all of our products. Very knowledgeable, man. I'd, I'd love to, you know, just have him on one one time to just kind of just shoot the shit on professional wrestling. I think what we may do is uh, so. Anyway, Pat, I didn't mean to cut you off there. <laughs> what what did he call you out on? 
oh, he was just flipping me shit, which is fine. But I think what we're, what we're going to have to do is uh, when it comes time for TakeOver New Orleans, TakeOver WrestleMania weekend, you know, two of the best shows that we have ever done here on Hitting the Marks was the NXT War Games preview and the NXT Philadelphia preview. We may have to get both Andrew Paulo and OK Fabe on the Hitting the Marks Pearl Wrestling Podcast for the TakeOver New Orleans preview and have a four-way death match to see which one of us is actually right. It was me. It's all me. Controversy creates cash. Let's move on to uh, our, our, our last group of questions here. We've, we've got a couple left. Uh, this one is, is kind of a, a, another one of the groupings like we had off the top of the show. Colin Wysong, Aaron Strunsky, and Dale White. We've got three of them all here together. Uh, let's start with Collins. Uh, well, let's start with the, she'll start with Dale's. Oh, let's start with Dale's. Okay, well, fine. Fuck I you. think I think his is a little better. Like it just gives you a different lead in with the other ones. Look at this guy telling me how to do my job. You want to host a fucking show? You know you want to host a show? Well, I mean, Dale do, wants do you wanna, to know. Do you want to do it right or <laughs> Dale wants to know? Well, we'll edit that part out. Dale wants to know what would your opinions be on WWE doing something like Lucha Underground? having basically a wrestling TV show on the network with seasons and storylines that don't share canon with Raw, SmackDown, NXT, etc. Something more character-driven that is written with plot and a clear beginning, middle, and end. Now, I, I want to jump in on this before we add the other guys in here because they all kind of do blend together. But, you know, this question here from, from Dale, I actually was, I had my eye on the thread when he had posted it, and immediately I found this to be very interesting. Uh, and for those of you that haven't really uh, had much experience with, with Dale over in the group, uh, tremendous, tremendous mind, uh, great person, a uh, big-time fan. But he, he does see it a little bit differently than, than us traditionalists, and he's, all, and he's very quick to, to use the term canon. And he's usually using that in comparison because he kind of views professional wrestling like he would like a, like a, a movie franchise. Or a comic book franchise. Like Star Wars or the DCU or the Marvel Universe, something like that. Right. And, and not to go too much into it, as I've explained to him there, I understand where he's coming from with that argument. But when it, in the terms of professional wrestling, it doesn't necessarily apply because, you know, as we continually state, it, it's about those blurred lines. It's about the. To build the believability where, yes, we know it is a form of entertainment. It is created for us, but it needs to be presented as an actual sport. So somehow my, my response to the, the canon part of this question is in my mind's eye. And we talked a little bit about this. Everything is canon. Everything that I see, like if Braun Strowman appears on a TV show, and they run a super across the bottom of the TV show. And that super says Braun Strowman. Then that is Braun Strowman from Monday Night Raw. If they call him by his real name, well, then I don't pay any attention to it because it's not Braun Strowman. But as soon as you are using that character's name, it is inside of the canon to me. 
that's pretty much my how it applies in my thought process. To me, I'm not opposed to this idea in any way, shape, or form. I, I think it is. I actually am I'm very intrigued by the idea, and I think it's something that could actually work for, uh, work on the network. But what I think you need to do if you're going to do this is you need to have it be a completely separate roster from that of Monday Night Raw or SmackDown Live or 205 Live or NXT. I, I have it be – I almost treat this thing, and I, I know we, we kind of touched on this when we were talking off air. Uh, we want to hit a number you know, – I've hit this from a number of directions – let me start off here. I want to ask you a question I didn't run by you before. I think we we really need to get real with the popularity of Lucha Underground. Oh, absolutely. You know, there's so many of the diehards that, you know, they think, oh, this is just an amazing thing. And I, I do want to remind you guys, everyone thinks this is so innovative. You know, go check out DDT from Japan. You're going to see a lot of this stuff here. Yep. But, but it, you know, but to me, it's such a niche audience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the El Rey Network in general is a niche audience. Um, Correct. I mean, I have El Rey Network, but I purposely pay more for my DirecTV package to have El Rey Network. Well, and, and what you have here, this is going to work for that niche audience that really understands this is something different than a professional wrestling promotion. This is a television show with professional wrestling involved in it. Yep. Yep. Lucha Underground, the way they present it, it's not necessarily going to work as a touring company. It's not going to work almost in any way as you know as we see WWE or New Japan or Ring of Honor. Well, hell, there's already talks that season four is not even going to take place in the temple; that it's going to be at a different location. And to me, that just turns me off because the temple is one of the characters on that show. All depending what to go with it there, but. I, you know, if you just took like, if you took Lucha Underground and you and you really presented that to the much larger WWE universe, that fan base, it's going to confuse a lot of people because it doesn't rely on the foundations of professional wrestling. It's going to lose a lot of people. So if WWE would go this direction, they really, as you said, do not cross over talents, do not cross over characters. Uh, at a very very Minimal. Do I want any kind of crossover? If you're running this program, I can. I would. I'm cool with running commercials during, let's say, you know, Raw and SmackDown, but keep them separate. I don't want you to cut back to the arena, and I don't want Cole and Graves trying to explain this to me. I want them to just go on with their business. Just to put this into comparison, uh, these are 2016 numbers, so this would be for season two of Lucha Underground, not season three, season two. Uh, Cause this is just a quick Google search. I didn't put any effort into this. Uh, El Rey network drew a total of 134,000 viewers down from uh, 13% from last week's 154,000 viewers. This week's first airing drew 99,000 viewers. The same as last week. I mean, you're talking about a third of impacts audience watches Lucha Underground. And we, and we talk about, you know, the difference between Impact's viewing audience versus WWE's and Lucha Underground's is a third of that. So just to put it in context, you're, you're literally talking about 100,000 people watch Lucha Underground live. Go ahead. And that could expand more with, you know, with the WWE machine. But, you know, it has to have its place. It's, it, I think it would be a good program for the network. That, that's one. Uh, 
you keep your characters and your talent exclusive to that program absolutely or, or brand do not rely on heavily on crossover promotion i believe me i do not need doofus cole and hipster graves trying to explain this to the wwe universe oh why they should go check it out could you imagine Corey graves and mitchell cole on commentary for lucha underground and how freaking terrible that would be so we don't need any of that there ultimately oh. for ultimately one of the things that is probably most scary about the possibility is if you if can you trust wwe to get this right uh, i think we both agree that you know possibly put give this baby to uh, Jeremy Borash and the Hardys yep. and let them run with this, you know, even, you know, present it like you're talking about Canon. present this as like, it's in like the alt WWE universe, like some bizarro world created by Hardy. Make it Omega. Uh, Just make it Omega pro wrestling. Just make it Omega. I mean, they, they already have the establishment for this. The Hardys already own their own freaking wrestling company, right? There you go. Uh, yeah, and you could bring in and you develop develop entirely new characters. Now we were talking about, you know, they do have some talent on the roster that could join this brand, but but then they would have to be exclusives over there. You know, yeah. like one of your your all time favorite, or your current favorite, Tyler Breeze, is someone that could make this jump and probably thrive under it. Yeah, uh, I, I think the thing that you have to entertain when you're talking about a show like this is you have to have very very specific kinds of characters with very specific kinds of acting chops who can still go in the ring and are young enough that you can repackage to do this. That's why we brought up Tyler Breeze. Tyler just turned 30 and that supermodel character. Yeah. I could absolutely see that applying into a Lucha underground type of environment, but you would have to do a storyline where, he ends up leaving Dango and going off to find something else and comes across whatever this show would be. And then you get basically a reintroduction of the Tyler Breeze supermodel character. But yeah, I absolutely think he would work in that kind of an environment. And I, I completely agree. Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy, Jeremy Borash. If you wanted to do a show like this, that's who I would have running the show. And I think, you know, even if you wanted to, maybe uh, Gabe could maybe lend a hand here. Well, yeah. I mean, when you're just talking about the creative. Right. Or maybe you, you reach out to like a, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Quackenbush. Yep. Yep. Uh, maybe some along those lines, bring in some elements of Chikara. Yep. Into this thing to maybe, you know, give it more of a, a little, a little bit more of a cartoonish feel than so much the dark Lucha Underground. Since, I mean, you, you still do have kids watching your network. Yep. Yeah, uh, you're still yeah, not going to get any of the things that really make Lucha Underground cool. You're not going to get like intergender wrestling on this show. I mean, because right. it's still going to be a WWE property. You know, you're not going to have people going through glass tables on this show. It's still a WWE property. I don't think I don't think Lucha Underground would get away with what Lucha Underground gets away with if their viewership wasn't 99,000 viewers on first airing. Yeah, I think that absolutely plays into it. One of the things that makes Lucha Underground cool is the fact that people don't know about Lucha Underground. It's like Fight Club. 
so let's let, let's move on to Colin's question here because I, it, this really starts expanding on what would you do with some of these shows now that we're getting so much crossover here. Uh, he says this is a three-part question. Uh, who has a three-part question? Why don't you just ask three questions? Three-part question. Well, I think it kind of works here. Uh, with the WWE now having three brands they want to push, 205 Live, NXT, and the main roster, would you like to see 205 Live become the work rate brand? NXT stay developmental, but deal with edgier, more adult-like storylines, and the main roster being what it's always been, a place to see what the best do what they do, but a kid-friendly show. Um, I think we're already seeing a little bit of this. Uh, I, I, I think there's four different aspects to look at here. I think there's 205 Live, I think there's NXT, and then I think there's the red brand and the blue brand. I wouldn't just consider it the main roster. I would yeah, have a very different feel to SmackDown and Raw. That That's the... You know, when he went to the three brand, you know, the first, my first thought was, well, you know, actually there are four brands here. So let's. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would have raw be your cartoony show. Your, your, your land of the giants storyline driven cartoony Vince McMahon style show. I would rather see SmackDown as your work rate show. I would rather see the WWE championship be on the work rate show, a show for guys like AJ Styles, guys like Finn Balor, the more athletic, professional wrestling, what some people are calling strong style now. Your more New Japan style presentation. I would leave 205 Live simply what it is. It's a cruiserweight show. That's all it is. The The, the only difference between... 205 Live and the main roster is the weight class. To me, that should be the only difference in the show. And NXT is developmental. I I, I don't see what the issue here is. I've got a a little bit of different twist. I want to go back to a grander time in professional wrestling. You know, when the industry was was actually hot, it was mainstream. And it's, that wasn't so long. I guess it is so long ago. It was 20-something years ago. Yeah. But let's look at the, you know, the structure of the companies we had then. And I, and I want to apply that under the WWE umbrella. I think they can have that. You know, back then you had your two top dogs. You had WWF. You had WCW. Raw and SmackDown. I, that's how I would go about that. I would go more in a direction, I agree with you, where SmackDown is your WCW-type show. Where... Because, you know, they were more built from the Southern tradition. Yep. You got more of the work rate. You have simpler characters and simpler storylines. Raw will be your WWF. You're, You're more character-based. There's great, great outlandish characters. There's larger-than-life beings. Uh, it's going to be heavily built around your storyline where they're, they're a little more complex. They're intertwining. It's, it's that traditional WWF, WWE style there. Now, when you, when you get into the edgier part, no matter what time frame you're in, you're going to have to play to what society dictates. Yep. And right now, especially being a publicly traded company, we are going to get more of a PC feel from them. That's just the, the way it is. Uh, with NXT saying that, I would like it. And what NXT really does now is it fills that ECW spot. 
not necessarily where they're, you know, the ultra violence, but it's the, the alt promotion. Yep. It's, it's an alternative that is booked differently and presented differently for your more correct hardcore cult following wrestling fan. And it has, it has individuals that have, that are likely not going to, and maybe have no business ever making it big time on raw or SmackDown. It, it has that niche audience for, for those fans there. It, it's, it's set up perfectly there. 205 where it gets a little tricky for me. I think this thing needs to be completely rebranded in, in today's world, setting the limitations with the weight limit there, the weight class completely kills this thing for me. You immediately come out of the gate and tell me, oh, it's just the little guys. It's just the dot, dot, dive guys. When you take away the 205 live, maybe you take away that stigma of it's just the little guys, essentially what you have is NXT. NXT Philly removed three talents and you have a 205 live show. We've been saying that since, since it aired. But you didn't have that feel. Uh, your champ, uh, Almas, the guy isn't that big. But because you don't come out right and tell us that, he seems like a larger-than-life superstar down there. Yep. I, I think they really got to look at repackaging that entire show, uh, which is uh, you know another part, kind of going back, which I, you know maybe Dale's suggestion of going with this complete alternative to the normal WWE programming and doing something along the lines of Lucha Underground, that becomes like that fourth brand or show that you present. And, and maybe you start just intertwining 205 Live into NXT. Well, and I, I think that kind of spins into Aaron's question here. Uh, if Vince McMahon is really giving more creative control over to Triple H while he works on other ventures, namely the XFL, what changes do you see Triple H implementing? Well, I think we've already started to see that, and it's now called 205 Live, because the last two weeks of 205 Live supposedly have been under Hunter's booking control, and you have absolutely seen a completely different show than it was a month ago. Oh, completely agree. And you can see right from the get-go, Triple H, he had his hands all over the Cruiserweight Classic, and that had the WWE Universe buzzing. And they are making, they're coming right out and telling you, hey, we're making a, a real hard effort to get back to what that was. That's what this should have been before Vince kind of got in there and wanted to make it about character work and developing these storylines. Yep. This is going to be a, uh, it's, but I wouldn't call this the work rate show because, you know, for a lot of people, uh, work rate means so much to so many different people. What I think is going to end up happening is very much what you were saying. I think this is basically going to become a second hour of NXT. I think this is going to become the main roster's version of NXT. What you're seeing in NXT right now is going to get brought to the main roster and NXT is going to be returned back to a developmental territory. Well, I also wanted to touch on that. I know they're, they're really have making making strides to make NXT that strong third brand. And so f- to me, for that to work, they need to downplay that so much that development. Yeah. I, 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 great. They got that B tour. That's great for those, for those young talents. 
But for NXT to really stand on its own, it needs some of those those great work rate, well known or well or known names to be a part of that brand. Okay, but let's say that we call up all the guys in NXT who have no business being in NXT right now. Okay? So we're calling up Johnny Gargano, Roderick Strong, Adam Cole, Red Dragon, you know, on down the list until you get to about, oh, I don't know, Velveteen Dream. I would have zero issue with Velveteen Dream being the NXT champion. That is a guy who still belongs in developmental. He is not ready for that bigger crowd. But guys like Adam Cole, he doesn't need to be in fucking NXT. He could very easily be on 205 Live and selling a lot more tickets than what you're going to sell at Full Sail. And I think that's the logic here. Okay, so then NXT would actually be down. I, I think there's more worth in elevating NXT and downgrading and rebranding and downgrading 205 Live. I would just call 205 Live NXT and just literally make it a second hour of NXT featuring the upper echelon of the card. And then all these people that are like, we need another title in NXT. Okay, now you can have your TV championship because we have two hours of NXT. And then when you get to a takeover special, you can do both hours together. I could get on board with that there. And I, I really, I, I guess my, my hardest point I'm trying to drive home here is they need to get rid of the, the 205 stigma. Well, yeah. And, and I completely agree. Even in the respect that guys like Drew Gulak, Tony Nese, TJ Perkins, they shouldn't have been called up to begin with. They should all be in NXT still anyway. Let's just call 205 Live NXT. And the show that you get on Wednesday is still NXT. It's just now you're going to get two hours of NXT a week and one hour is going to be filmed live, whereas the other hour is going to be. Well, and, and one thing I really hope that Triple H understands is no matter what direction, if, if they merge them together, they keep it what, whatsoever, whatever they do with it. Hopefully Triple H sees us. They need to get that that third hour or at that post SmackDown taping out of there. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. With uh, that. We, we've, we have both seen this going to these events. It, it's just the, the fans, they they're dragging. They just want to go at this point. They don't want to stick around for a whole new program. You know, it's, it's not like on a roll where there's a flow through the entire show. This is like, you're starting from scratch with a whole new show. People, people want to get out of there. They, they're not really familiar with the talents and what's going on. But in my scenario, how you counteract that, if you have a show that has Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano and Andrade Cien Almas and the guys that are in NXT right now in front of that bigger crowd for SmackDown, I don't think you're going to see all those people leaving because I think within six months, 205 Live or whatever the hell that show is that you want to call it, NXTA, is going to be the best show that they have. I, I, I still think... You're better off putting that in front of that niche crowd, sticking with your same thing. Take that thing back to full sale or take it to the smaller arenas. Well, see, I think this is an experiment in Vince with Hunter to put them in front of the mainstream crowd. Okay, you got NXT over. 
now do it with something on the mainstream crowd. It's still on the network. Like, I feel like this is the next progression in Triple H's tutelage from Vince. Okay, so this is this is kind of like the, uh, okay, I'm going to... Okay, I'm you gonna, pass gonna, test I'm gonna, number I'm gonna, one. I'm going, to, I'm going to let loose on the leash a little bit here for yep, you. Yep, you pass test number one. This is test number two. Now let's see you do it in a bigger arena every week live. I, I feel you there. That's that's kind of what I feel like is going on here. I may be completely wrong, but that's kind of what I feel like is going on here. And you're going to see the very best of Triple H come out if that is what's going on here. Uh, he's got one little other question or just like a little tidbit that he. Yeah. Uh, what could we see WWE finally establishing a relationship up to and possibly even including a talent sharing invasion angles, et cetera, with companies like ROH and New Japan? Um, I thought this was interesting because earlier today we were talking about the uh, Liger and Mysterio thing, and we found out that that match did happen once before. It was at Starcade 96, and so I went back on the network and I was watching it, and they spent about half of the match putting over the fact that there's going to be this huge event coming January 4th inside the Tokyo Dome, and this big tournament that Jushin Liger just won a couple of months ago that's now called Best of the Super Juniors. You know, and they're putting over New Japan Pro Wrestling as I'm watching it. And the whole time I'm watching it, all I could think was there is absolutely zero chance that would happen in the WWE today. Well, I think, you know, in WWE's mind, why work with these companies when you can just just go rape and pillage? Yep, basically. Although I, what one thing I could see happening, um, not necessarily to the extent of a talent sharing or invasion angles thing. We did see the story earlier this week that WWE is licensing the broken Matt Hardy stuff from formerly TNA now impact wrestling. And they want to do a WWE 24 special featuring footage from what they did in TNA. I could see them doing that where Hunter, when he takes over, works out a licensing deal to where they can use old footage from Ring of Honor, old footage from New Japan, pictures from Ring of Honor, pictures from New Japan. But I don't see any kind of a talent exchange going on. But I could see a softening in relations to where we don't just pretend like these companies no longer exist. But I think that'd be about the extent of it. Uh, let's move on to our friend, the Gooch. He's got a couple of questions for us here before we wrap this up. Uh, your dream match that we will never see in WWE, past, present, future, no roster limit. I mean, my God, the, the, the possibilities are endless here. And then New Japan Pro Wrestling has to go and announce Rey Mysterio versus Jushin Liger today. And I thought, boy, have a hard time coming up with a better one than that. Talk about a match you'll never see in the WWE. Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Jushin Thunder Liger billed as one of the main attractions for whatever show that's going to be on. Yeah, I was just sitting down. You know, I I think I probably could have came up with 20 matches. Uh, but let's see what I got here. I got a handful here. I just spit out real quick. Uh, CM Punk versus Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the possibilities are endless here. Well, and then, you know, one that I don't really see this mentioned that that often when you talk about WWE dream matches. Uh, and to me, they're they're more similar when you're talking about the biggest names of their generation and their era. You know, we, we've, we always see those compared, but 
uh, uh, John Cena and Bruno San Martino. Yeah. I think they're more comparable than, you know, a lot of, you know, than like either Hogan and Cena. I, I think those two, like in their primes, would have been a phenomenal outing. AJ Styles and Macho Man. AJ Styles and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Oh, that's a good one there. I mean, come uh, on. You know, one of the obvious ones, you know, that today's fans, Hollywood Hogan versus Stone Cold. Yeah. Maybe not as hot. I think the spectacle, and it would be a great seller, uh, Big Show versus Andre the Giant. <sighs> yeah, that, that would be quite the spectacle. Great Kali is great as the uh, special guest referee. Uh, no, he's he's nowhere near this thing. <laughs> he's he's still coming down the ramp by the time the match is over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kurt Angle versus well, shit, either, either Brett or Owen Hart. Yeah. Uh, I, I I will tell you my, the one that my brain immediately went to uh, a match that I would absolutely love to see is AJ Styles modern day AJ Styles versus Mister Perfect Kurt Henning. Oh, that's that is that is. I, a I, I would love pick. to see that match, dude. I, I got one that maybe no one out there was thinking about. I, I think uh, it would warm my heart to see this match: Ric Flair versus Charlotte Flair. <laughs> what era of Nature Boy do you go with against uh, your precious Shar Shar? Man, you, any any time in his prime, man. You know. Well, what do you define as Flair's prime? I mean, when you when you got a career that spans forty I, freaking years, I, I'm, I'm always going to go anywhere. I'm going to go anywhere from like seventy eight to ninety. Okay, okay. See, and there's a lot of people that would consider you know Flair like you know ninety two to be in his prime. You know, so I it's just well because they just remember that there with with, with the WWE Rumble, run. yeah, because, yeah. But there was so much, so many better years. Oh, I know, I know. It's, now, you know, it's crazy. When I, was, you know, when I was thinking, this isn't necessarily a match, but I did want to toss this out to you real quick. Not necessarily a match, but it would be like a, a situation, a moment, maybe. Not more of a situation. There was a time there in the late 80s, 90s, where it was very doable that we could have had the four horsemen in the WWF. How, how do you think that would have worked? I think Vince would have buried him. I think they would have got. I mean, I, 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 mean, I think they would have got the upper hand for a little bit. But I was trying to think like who would rally around Hogan as like Team WWF at the time. Yeah, obviously Hogan, um, Macho Man, Brutus be Beefcake, Hogan, Macho Beefcake, and who would be the fourth? You see, I was trying to think of like a tag team in there too. Like, would maybe like the Hart Foundation? join up with heart to take on the brain busters. Yeah, I could see that. I don't and know. Man, I, I, you know, you Brutus, had, Brutus would definitely be there. Brutus would wait. definitely be there. Yeah. He'd have his boys up there. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I you think, what, I think Macho's in that, in that too. It's just, I'm not sure who the well, fourth you know, would Macho, be. Macho was working a huge heel around that time. He would be, he would be the one that they, they had to try to rope in. You know he, what I he, mean? He would, to me, he would be kind of like that sting role in the NWO WCW. You know, you, you say, Where is you Macho say that going? now, you say that now. And I feel like sting would be the fourth. That, well, that, he's, that he's still, I know, he's still I know over. that's what I'm saying. I'm, I, I feel like if, if you were going to bring in the horsemen, they would have brought in sting too. So you would have had the horsemen uh, versus, you, versus you, Hogan. You macho and beefcake and then sting would have been where does sting stand is he with the horseman the wcw brother in 
Or is he going to do what's right and join with Hogan and Savage and Beefcake? Uh, see, without with taking Sting out, you still got you know, Sting's old partner, Warrior, to play into that. You could be feuding Warrior and Wyndham. Oh, yeah. Um, Jake the Snake. Jake the Snake, a big WWF name. What about Rude? Ravishing to me, Rick. To, to me, man, he's going to still be that just straight dick heel who's off doing his own thing. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Now, uh, now well, here's I, I thought about Perfect. I think Perfect would play into this great because they would always kind of tease him is that horseman in are waiting. The, are the horsemen recruiting Kurt Henning? Well, at some point, I would probably see them storyline-wise that Wyndham would get the boot and they would bring in Henning. Yeah. Man, how was Henning never a horseman? He was. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Anyway, just a thought I had. God. The, 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 the possibilities when you, when you bring the horsemen into things just go absolutely crazy. See, I, I think I would have rather have seen it the other way around. I think I would have rather have seen the WWF guys go to WCW. And, they, they and, did. and invade they the horseman territory. They did. You just had to wait. For yeah, right. You years. just had to wait for, for <laughs> another 10 years. Yeah. Uh, Gooch also has on here, second question. If given the opportunity to control the roster in WWE and your changes would not be reversed for six months, what changes would you make? Who would you release? And who would you sign? Uh, the who who would you release and who would you sign thing uh, intrigues me greatly. Uh, when, when it comes to if I could change one thing and they wouldn't be able to change it for six months, it would be I, I would do away with 50-50 booking for six months and I would put a moratorium on all triple threat, fatal four-way, five-pack, six-pack, seven-pack, eight-pack, nine-pack, ten-pack, eleven-pack, twelve-pack challenges. You're only going to have one-on-one matches for the next six months. Then when we do a triple threat match, maybe it'll actually mean something again. I can get down with those. Uh, I would break down our writing committee. Uh, I would have maybe teams of two to three focusing on certain areas. Uh, you know, example, uh, you guys are worrying about my women's division. You guys have got this male's division you guys you worry about this tag division here uh and then i'm going to make sure that the head writer they are reporting to which is you know stephanie or whoever that the agent there is also a head agent who is coordinating all this shit so we stop seeing the repeat of these spots uh throughout the shows here i also would probably focus in on sexying up our live events I, i to me i do not see any reason to go to a WD live event, especially, but hell, even even television or a pay per view, because why? When you're actually there, they do nothing to make the experience over the top. It is not a a must attend event. Uh, I've been harping on that for many months, so I don't want to dive so much into that. Tons of changes that we come that way. If anybody wants to talk to me about that, you know, hit me up. I think I got a lot of great ideas. I'd like to hear. Uh, you know, from others in their live event experience to see, you know, where they could really improve there. Uh, who would you release? Who would you sign? That's the part that intrigued me more. So as far as who, who would you release? I'm pretty sure I could look at about half the roster and, and, and choose to release them at this point, just because creative isn't doing anything with them. It's nothing against the talents indicatively. Well, no, I, and 
I, when I looked at it too, you know what? I'm one of those. I don't want to see anyone out of work. I'm not going to cut anyone. Uh, and I would say this. If anyone would like to leave at this point, you have an unconditional release. There you go. We're not going to hold you back from anything. Uh, the door will always be open. We understand. But before you do that, I want to let you know that I am going to begin to hold creative and management very responsible for how they've treated you and this product. And we are going to we're going to write the ship here. So we'd love to have you on board. Uh, that just goes out to everyone on the roster except for you, Nia Jax. Uh, just go ahead and leave now. We will mail you your shit. <laughs> you get to step in. Uh, is there anybody on the indie scene right now that you would like to see them sign and bring in? Um, I, I, I was going to say aside from Kenny Omega because I that, that just feels like an easy cop-out answer. Uh, anybody that you would like to see them sign right now? You know, one that really jumped out to me, uh, we talked about him earlier, uh, Gorillas of Destiny. I'm sorry? The Gorillas from New Japan. Oh, Gorillas of Destiny. I'm sorry, yeah. I, I didn't understand what you said. Uh, yeah, Tama Tonga and Tongaloa. Uh, Tongaloa was in NXT at one time and was released before he went over to Japan. I'm not exactly sure what the oh, situation no. is there. No, he, he, was, uh, he, he made it to the main roster. He was uh, Kamacha. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not sure what the situation is there. Uh, if, if there's any bad blood there, or and, and plus, you know, Haku goes all the way back with Vince, and I don't know if there's any bad blood there. So th- th- there's a lot of variables there, but yeah, that is a good one. Um, the, the the one that immediately came to mind for me was Jeff Cobb. Uh, Jeff Cobb also plays the monster Matanza on uh, Lucha Underground. Uh, but he's been doing a lot of independent stuff like with PWG. Uh, he was just in World Tag League with Michael Elgin, which was awkward as hell because those two guys did not like each other whatsoever. Uh, but Jeff Cobb is a freaking athletic freak, man. He's kind of like Samoa Joe and Kurt Angle put into one package. And he's still really young. Could do a lot with that guy. Kind of mold him. He's putty in your hands. The only problem is he's not a very good looking guy. Which, when you get to WWE, that definitely plays into it. As much as we don't want to think it does, it absolutely does. Uh, any female talents on the indie scene that you would like to see them bring in right now? Yeah, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty satisfied for where they're at. I know there's a lot of great ones out there. Uh, maybe, you know, you know, one of my personal favorites, maybe Kelly Klein. Uh, I think she's got a great look, uh, great style. That would contrast, you know, a little bit to what they got going. I, I, I don't know so much of maybe she translates to like a Raw and SmackDown, but I think she would be a tremendous asset, like in an NXT environment. Uh, the one that I'm still up on, I've been on for months. There should be absolutely no surprise here. Tony Storm. Not only sign Tony Storm, bring her in and get her ass on Raw or SmackDown tomorrow. You bypass NXT, you collect the two hundred dollars, and you just go with that girl. She's got a look and a personality that is going to get over real freaking quick. Real quick. You, you know, uh, do you got anyone else you'd bring in? No, those are the only two that I really thought about. All right. I'm, I'm going to get some ass kissing out of the way here. Uh, so we, we do have control of WWE. We can make some changes. They're going to hold to for a little while. Had so a I'm creative gonna, Ben Hameen. I'm going to bring in, I'm going to bring in Ben and head of creative. Uh, then I'm gonna I'm going to I'm gonna see your head of creative and up you one. 
We are going to hand over WWE.com to one Mr. Ryan K. Bowman. Ooh, I like that one, too. I like that one, too. We are going to get back to some traditional style reporting, uh, some true journalism. You know, we're going to go some throwback days. We're going to tell you some some real stories, not this, uh, what, TMZ-S reality E crap that they got going on. I'm also going to fire Mark Carano the first minute that I'm in the building, and I'm going to replace Mark Carano in talent relations with Big Ray Hernandez. I like that one, too. I like oh, that you one know too. what? I, I might just go ahead and make Jim Cornette the head of the Human Resources Department. <sighs> On that note, I think we're going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, Rick and I would like to thank each and every one of you for listening to today's show. Except for you. You. You motherfucker. You. Yeah. You. You know who we're talking about. A very special thank you to those that submitted questions. Uh, If it weren't for you guys, we wouldn't be doing this. So uh, please, please keep the questions coming in. We appreciate it. Uh, visit our peeps Ryan and Michael over at thegorillaposition.com for your daily pro wrestling needs as they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. Uh, Rick and I will be back in your ear holes this Monday over in the locker room at hackerhameen.podbean.com. Much love to our peeps over in the Hameen Media Discussion Group. Uh, come join us if you want to hang out with the cool kids. You can uh, find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Shoot us an email at hittingthemarks at gmail.com. As always, you can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. Rick, how do the Hitting the Marks fangirls find you? You can find me on social media at the Real RBV. And as always, I'll be chatting it up over on Facebook in the Hameen Media Discussion Group. we got a lot of great activity, as always, going on there. And then, the, of course, you and I are back at it Monday morning with the Hacker Hameen Media Group inside the locker room. I almost forgot. Again, I almost forgot. But I didn't. The number one question that I am asked on this show is about the opening theme song that we use for the show. And I promised people that I would play it on this episode so that you can hear the song in its entirety rather than the first 17 bars. So here is the song. The name of the song is Silent Treatment, and it is by my old band, Left 4 Dead, out of Peoria, Illinois. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you Monday in the locker room. For now, we're off like a promise. See ya! Yeah.